Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 10. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you in church. Hopefully you've already encountered some of God's love and presence and he's stirred you up to love and affection. Well, maybe I'll make that a question. Have you? Have you so far? Yeah, it's there. It's not a bad 45 minutes on a Sunday, is it, so far? So I'm driving home uh, a month or so back, and I experienced something that I never thought I would experience in that context. So to set the scene a little bit... As I've drive home over the last year or so, I started listening to commercial radio. Before that, I went through a period of just not having any sound coming out of the speakers as I drove home because it's very peaceful, and I really encourage you to do that at some point. And also, my car makes some pretty cool turbo noises, so I like listening to those as well. But over the last year, I've started listening to commercial radio on the way home, and I'm going to say that tonight, and people are going to look at me blankly and try to work out why I haven't tethered my smartphone, Bluetooth, and Spotify, and all that kind of stuff. Why am I listening to what someone else is choosing? But that's what I've been doing. And I enjoy it. It passes the time, it's sort of entertaining, and that's good, and that's why I do it. But I can't ever say that it's edified me and built me up in my faith. In fact, at times, as I'm listening to commercial radio, I actually despair about the values that are being espoused by those talking heads on the radio and in some of the lyrics of the songs that are being pushed on a younger generation. And so I'm driving home and this song suddenly comes on without warning, without any explanation. And maybe you know it, it's a song by a girl called Lauren Daigle called You Say. And so I'm driving home and I start hearing effectively what is my identity in Christ being broadcast across commercial airwaves. So the chorus says, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, you say that I am yours. I believe, I believe what you say of me, I believe. I'm just driving home thinking they might as well just play some praise and worship, hill songs, who you say I am. This is what this song is getting at. And she goes on in the song, but she talks about, in you I find my worth, in you I find my identity, taking all that I have, I'm now laying it at your feet. You have every failure, God, and you'll have every victory. And I'm driving home thinking, come on, I'm being ministered to right now by the Holy Spirit about my identity as a child of God through commercial radio blaring in my car as I drive home from work. Unexpected. And I get that for some people who are listening, her voice sounds a little Adele-like, and so maybe it's just, you know, one of those new Adele songs. But I'm like, seriously, if you're singing those lyrics to another human being, there are some emotional issues you might want to work through. 
And so I have to say, at that moment, I was so challenged and I was so convicted. And funnily enough, not actually about my identity as a child of God, but about God's power and his presence and his work in the world. You see, I thought the station that I was listening to was a closed place, a place that is hardened to anything of the kingdom. I must admit, and maybe this reflects my lack of faith, from everything I'd heard from the past year, I thought that is a place where God will never be able to be at work in or through, and I'm pretty sure the station's orientation is um, against the things of God, and yet our God is the God of the impossible, is he not? Well, we've been tracking the past few weeks through our our series, Ask, Seek and Knock, and this is our, our theme for the whole year. It's called a commit to spending a year intentionally and earnestly praying that God would transform lives. And hopefully in that little video that we showed earlier in the service, you just saw how all those weeks fit together. And I hope in that video earlier in the service, you appreciated how awkward it is for me to sit there and watch myself on the screen. So I really pray that was helpful. And this week, we're down at this final one. What does it look like for us to knock? And I actually think this one has the potential to be one of the the harder weeks and the harder things to press into in prayer. And so I wanted to start by sharing that story because, well, maybe like me, you actually need to believe again this morning, to believe again in the God of the impossible, the God who actively and persistently, lovingly is at work in this world to call his children home. And maybe like me, you need to engage again with the tragic lostness of so many in our world today and be so moved by their lostness that you actually have nowhere else to go but to God in prayer for them. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll unpack Knock Together. Heavenly Father, we just sang and we just declared that chains will break in the name of Jesus. And in this room, there are prodigals who have been welcomed home. There are people who were once spiritually blind, but you opened up their eyes to see the beauty and worth of Jesus. There's addictions that have been broken. There are people who are going down paths, that wide road that leads to destruction, and yet your spirit called and drew us near. So Father, today I just ask that faith would stir up afresh in us, that we would feel the weightiness of our calling to intercede on behalf of those who are lost in our world, that we might commit to deliberately, intentionally, consistently, earnestly coming before you in prayer on behalf of those who need it. And that as we do, Father, I want to pray that we will see answers testimonies, stories, lives transformed as you hear and as you answer us. Thank you for being with us. Continue to move in and through us as a church, I pray this year. Amen. So in the pattern of asking for transformed lives this year, knocking is about appealing for the people and places that we long to see open to a move of God. We recognise that all of us rub shoulders with people or groups of people or we inhabit places that seem to be closed off to, hardened, even resistant to encountering God. That just makes sense. And let's personalise them. For some of us, they are our family members. For some of us, it's who we go to school with. It's who we share an office with. For some of us, it's who's on our sporting team or it's the kind of people and the places and the powers that we inhabit. So if you are in the media, you feel the weightiness of the media's hardness to the things of God. And so if we're going to pray this year, I think one of the things that we need to really take hold of is to understand that part of knocking is to actually do the longing thing, that we long to see those people open to a move of God. It kind of hits us right in that desire place, that place of burden, that place of weightiness. 
So if you are a note taker, I'm going to classic Baptist style, give you three things to write in your books. And the first is this, that if we're going to knock this year, then we need to actually engage with those hard places. I'm not sure if you had a sudden conversion story or if it was a more gradual thing, if you just grew up always feeling that you knew the Lord. For me, I have a time and a date and a location in my early high school years. And I think like me, if you've also had a sudden conversion story, at that time, you were suddenly made acutely aware of the lostness of the people around you. And you desired they would find what you have found in Jesus. And so we prayed for them. Does that make sense? Did you do this? It was natural to pray for them. It was easy to pray for them. It was heartfelt and it was passionate. Since we just experienced the first taste of new life in Christ, we believed and we had faith that God could do in them what he had just done in us. And yet as the years drive by, as we settle into the Christian life, as we surround ourselves by those who are, let's be honest, already saved, or maybe as our prayers that we continue to pray year after year go unanswered, I get that for many of us, we get to a place where we start to give up praying those prayers. We stop asking that God would encounter and soften the hearts of those around us. Maybe we even stopped believing that God could or that God would move in their lives in those miraculous supernatural ways. And so we resign ourselves to where that person is at. And I get it, right? Some people are so militant in their atheism or scepticism, it's almost hard to imagine what it would look like for that person to suddenly be soft and curious and to seek after God. Some of the people in our lives are so quick to shut down any talk of anything remotely spiritual that we assume that they're not interested, nor will they ever be. I've got friends who are so trapped in their pattern of thinking and so committed to their way of life that opposed to the things of God that I don't know how God would ever get a look in in their life. And sometimes we know friends that have drifted away from the faith and they've been gone for so long, we just don't even know if they could ever find their way back. And we're not actually sure if they'd want to, even if they could. So to start or continue to pray for those people, to contend for them before God, does mean engaging with their hardness. You know, I was talking to someone this week about the difference between asking and knocking. And we're talking about how obviously asking, you're, you're praying those prayers for transformation in people's lives, for God uh, to be at work. And if you didn't go back and have a listen through the message and the points was very similar to today, let faith rise up, let our hearts move and pray prayers that matter. And they said, well, what's the difference between asking and knocking? And I started talking about, well, knocking really is about those, those hard places, those closed places, those places where it's going to take an enormous amount of faith and persistence to actually keep knocking and appealing before God on their behalf. And there was this little penny drop moment for them where they went, ah, see, I've been praying for this person under us because I actually believe that God can transform their life. But I've actually stopped praying for my unbelieving grandparents because it's been so long and they're so set in their ways that there's some part of me that has actually, if I'm honest, has stopped believing that they could ever come to know Jesus. You know, for me, I remember being part of a small group about a decade ago, and there were two brothers in there, and one of them was passionate and, and devoted to Jesus and was jumping into ministry. I counted him a great colleague, a great friend. But his brother continued to be this, this person that we prayed for as a small group because we could see that his heart was growing distant from God and distant from the things of God, and that he started walking down paths and pursuing decisions that were going to lead him away from God. And month after month, he continued in those decisions and he continued down that, down that road until we stopped seeing him at church and he started living that, that full life apart from Jesus. 
I remember for us as a small group, we, we took this personally and we felt the burden for him. We cared, our hearts were moved. And so we prayed the prayers that mattered. We prayed that he would repent, that God would soften his heart, that he would encounter the love of Jesus afresh and, and return to the fold. And I reckon we prayed that and I must have sustained that for about, about a year. And I have to admit that, that about after that time, those prayers became a little more infrequent, a little less passionate, a little less sure to the point where this is confession time with Uncle Trav, I stopped praying. Does that ring any bells with you? And so to start or continue in contending in prayer for those hard or those closed, those resistant people, often does mean engaging with the hard places. It actually means engaging with their closeness, with their lostness. And I get that actually that can be profoundly emotional for some of us. That would actually keep us from stepping into that place of committing to pray for them. It's confronting, isn't it, to actually pray for someone you know is facing a Christless eternity. Because to pray that way means you have to engage with the fact that they are facing a Christless eternity. I've got people in my own family that fit under that setting. And sometimes it's more comfortable to not actually knock and appeal before God on their behalf because to knock and appeal before God on their behalf means I have to engage with where they're at and how far they are from him. Does that make sense? I think for some of us to actually engage in these hard places, to appeal and to knock before God on behalf of those who are closed in our life means working through our own disappointment. But actually to pray, that means we have to confront those disappointments in our life that they made those decisions or that they adopted that particular pattern of lifestyle or that they walked away. For some of us, we've even got a little bit of betrayal about that. It's like, we used to be in it together and you've walked away and thrown it all in. For others of us, that disappointment means going, God, why haven't you been hearing? Why haven't you been answering my prayers? And we rejoice as God answers the prayers of others and lives get transformed and people come into the kingdom in other people's families. But we're still praying for our adult children. Not me personally, she's very little. Uh, Our adult children, and we've been praying that for decades. And so to step back into the place of interceding and praying for them, rises up all that disappointment with God. And I get actually praying this way opens us up to being hurt again because we pray for what we care about, don't we? And so to pray for somebody who is hard or resistant or closed off to the things of God means I'm going to actually let my heart feel for them. And in feeling for them as I'm praying for them, I'm opening myself up to being hurt if they continue persisting in that lifestyle and that attitude towards God. So I don't know if this is any encouragement at all, but I think one of the most raw, most real things that the Apostle Paul writes is in his introductory (laughs) book of theology to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 9 and 10. And he writes this, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He goes on, it's not on the screen. He goes, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. Theirs is the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever to be praised. Amen. And yet they have rejected him. And yet they have set their face opposed to them. And so he goes on a little bit of an excursion about God's sovereignty and and Israel's choice. And then in chapter 10, he just says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Knocking means engaging with the hard places. 
It means feeling. It means having that weight. It means carrying that burden on behalf of a person or a group of people or a place that you inhabit in your life and longing to see them open to a move of God. Does this make sense? Thanks, Steve. Makes sense to anyone else who's not a pastor? (laughs) Do we have that great sorrow and unceasing anguish in our hearts for the people and places in our lives who don't know God? Is it our heart's desire and prayer that they might be saved, they might open up, they might soften, that God might encounter them afresh with his love? Well, if it is, then I encourage you to dare to believe and to knock again. I think one of the things that this series is doing, certainly in me, and I know it's doing it in a bunch of others, is it is actually causing faith to stir up within us. Because as we pray for God to transform people's lives, we have to stand in that place of believing that God can and does and longs to transform lives. And we start thinking back about the ways that he has encountered us and transformed our lives. And we start looking around the room and we start seeing story after story, testimony after testimony about the way that God has encountered others and he has changed their lives. And so we actually start to believe. And I'm hoping that it then drives us to him in prayer, that we would actually be those who believe that God can soften the hardest heart, that chains will break and can break in the name of Jesus, as we invite him in, as we intercede for him to intervene in the lives of those that we love. You know, Jesus tells two parable stories to help keep us praying. One was in Luke chapter 11. It's a great story, and I really pray that none of you ever do this to me. But it's a, it's a story of a guy who's obviously receives a friend from afar, and in, in the hospitality-driven culture of the day, it would be really shameful for him to not provide for his friend. In the hospitality-driven culture of the day as well, it was fairly normal for Israelites to have their door opened during the day. This sort of open invitation, if you like, for community to be welcomed into the home. And so when an Israelite's door was shut, it was shut and it sent a message. It was a big do not disturb sign placed on their home, which would happen predominantly just overnight. And so the story is there's this friend who is in need, who has this, I love the words, shameless audacity or or boldness to go to his friend in the middle of the night and to bang on his door, knowing that he's going to wake up the whole household, and this was not the done thing, in order to ask for bread. I was woken up a couple of weeks ago at 3am by a neighbour on his mobile phone on our front lawn. I didn't open the door, and one of our other neighbours may have yelled something instructional out the window. Uh, But you get that experience, don't you, when you're woken up in the middle of the night, you're like, what do you think is happening here? It's night, we're sleeping, come back in the morning, no, that's ridiculous, of course I'm I'm not going to. And the friend who was was asleep, who is now awake, I I love it, they're a really good friend, Uh, and Jesus says, they would not get up and give the bread because of the friendship, but because of the shameless audacity, or because of the boldness, because of the persistence that surly friend would surely get up and give the person as much as you need. And in Luke's gospel, that's where Jesus springboards into, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And Jesus' point here is not that God is like the surly friend who begrudgingly gives us stuff if we're shameless and audacious and bold in our requests. Jesus' point is, if even that guy, and you know that someone's banging on your door at 3am, you're giving them a loaf of bread to get rid of them. If that guy knows how to answer the request, how much more does your loving, perfect, good, heavenly father long to, is ready to rush 
to answer your request. The other story is a couple of chapters later in Luke chapter 18, and it's the parable of the persistent widow. So then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Definitely not the image of God in this story, just in case you're wondering. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming before him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, and why wouldn't he? He was clearly a corrupt judge, only interested in himself. But after a while, he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Pure motives, as we can see. And the Lord said, verse 6, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And again, the story or the impact is, if surely an unjust judge would answer the persistent requests of a widow just to kind of get her off his back and to make sure he didn't look bad in the population's eyes, how much more so would our God, who loves justice and who is good and perfect and powerful, long to give us good gifts as his children? You see, in both story, uh, the man and the widow rightly recognise something in the one that they are petitioning. The man in the story rightly recognises that his friend is able to help. The man rightly recognises that his friend has the capacity to provide. The widow from Luke uh, chapter 18 rightly recognises that the judge has the power and the authority to do something about her situation and that he is the person in the position of power that she needs to petition in order to get justice. My friends, do we rightly recognise that our God is the God of the impossible, that he is the one with the love and the grace and the power and the presence in this world, that he has the capacity, the will, the heart, that all might come to a saving knowledge of your son Jesus. Do you believe that God can open the eyes of the spiritually blind? Do you believe that God can bring a great Christian influence alongside the person that you're praying for? Then pray. Then intercede. Then knock, appeal on behalf of those people, those groups and those places in your life. Dare to believe and to knock again. And finally, as you do, do so boldly and persistently. Some of these closed people and places have been closed for a long time. Some of those hard hearts that we love and that we want to see open to a move of God are hard for very good reasons. And it will take time and prayer and intentionality to see that soften and to break open, to experience more of God's love. You know, Jesus explicitly states that he tells the story of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's Luke chapter 18, verse 1. I shared the story of my friend that we prayed for for a year and then I I tapped out because you have little faith. Well, others carried on praying for him. His mum and dad were such godly people. There's no way they were going to let their son go. I'm sure his brother kept bringing him before the Lord in that place of intercession as well. And in time, we saw a great story of restoration, a great story of him coming alive in his faith in a way that he never had been in his teenage years. 
He's a guy, and I've told the story of him before because I love it. He's one of my close mates, a guy who's in ministry, who's a great dad now, a loving husband, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, a person who every time I connect with, I am encouraged in my own personal walk with Jesus. And for me, he's this living reminder of what God can do. He's this living testimony to me that even after I've gone, it's been too long, it's, he's gone too far, all hope is lost, that God is never done with someone. And I know that some of us struggle with that because we see the unanswered prayer and time goes on and, 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 and we know there are examples of unanswered prayer. And I don't want to unpack that too much other than to say I don't think God's desire for us in that place is to then tap out or to distance ourselves or to stop knocking or, or be disappointed I think it's to remember that God is a God of great love, that his ways are not our ways, and that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And so to keep boldly and persistently praying and knocking. That's hard, isn't it, that one? It's hard. I prayed for my granddad right up to the moment he passed. And the last conversation I had with him, I said, it's never too late. And he looked at me and he said, yes, it is and passed away a few weeks later. So, so I get this, but I'm called into the place, bold faith and persistent praying to believe that God is loving, that God is at work. So who is it for you? Who are the people? Who are the groups in your life? Where are the places that you inhabit that you long to see open to a move of God? Would you engage with those places, feel the weight, the burden for those people and those groups? Would you dare to believe that God can intervene, that God can soften the hardest heart, that God will welcome home the most radical of prodigals? And would you pray with boldness and persistence that God would transform their lives this year and encounter them with his love? Yeah? Let's pray. Father, for each of us, there are people that automatically and easily spring to mind and fill us with a wide range of emotions. God, ultimately, we just want to come before you and we want to pray your sovereign grace, your loving mercy over their lives. God, we want to pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that hearts might be softened, that eyes might be opened, that chains might be broken, that patterns of thinking might be rearranged, that priorities and lifestyles that keep them far from you might be shown to be empty and meaningless and cause them to hunger and to quest to find you the author of life. God, would you keep our hearts filled with faith, committed to intercede on their behalf? God, would you place a burden so strongly in our lives for some of those people and those groups that we can't help but do anything else other than run to you in prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, I don't need to bang on your door in the middle of the night. We don't need to nag you like the persistent widow. But you invite us, ask and seek and knock. And so we're knocking, Father. We're praying, Father. We're believing, Father, that you are still God, that you are still good, that you are still at work in this world. So for those people, for those groups, for those places, Lord, would you have your way? Would you move in power? For our sake, for their sake, for the eternal glory of your name. We pray it in the name of Jesus.